Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Believe in Celtics, brought to you by Bed Online. I am Warren Shaw. He is the great Gary Washburn, and we're your host and resource for everything Boston Celtics this season. Gary, my dude, what's happening? Hey, Warren, how's it going, man? Another uh, average day in the sports world, I guess. Uh, always something going on. So, yeah, everything's yeah. good. Oh, man. Well, as you alluded to, yeah, we've got to kind of get to it, man. As we get ready to record today, this afternoon, news breaks that you would think doesn't really impact the Boston Celtics, but alas, news will impact the Boston Celtics. So we'll get into that here really quickly uh, before we go to our break and the crux of our conversation today will be kind of the Celtics defense and where some of the struggles are. But the Brooklyn Nets, they, um, I guess, part ways. So I guess it was a mutually parting of the ways with Steve Nash as reported by Shams and Woj and all those out there. And Sean Marks ends up having this great or kind of cryptic press conference. A lot of the conversation gears towards Kyrie, but part of the conversation and Shams puts out there tweet wise that the Brooklyn Nets are have received permission from the from the Boston Celtics to talk to Ime Udoka um, to be their their next head coach. Jacques Vaughn will be the interim coach, um, but depending on who you believe, what you've heard already. You know, it could be something within the next 24 to 48 hours. It could be something, you know, just somewhere down the line. Gary, just what's your quick sense of what's been happening here? And is Yudoka a legitimate candidate for this Brooklyn Nets job? Well, Warren, yeah, of course, I, I definitely think he is. I think that he is someone that obviously they have ties with him. Um, being a former assistant coach coming to Boston from Brooklyn on the assistant on that first year of Steve Nash's staff. Um, And so, yeah, I do think he's a legitimate candidate. Uh, I don't think uh, with all this upheaval, with uh, parting ways with Steve Nash, they're going to announce it today or anything like that. But I do think the negotiations are going on. And what I've been told, the Celtics are ready to break ties. I mean, I don't think that uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances, Yudoka was going to coach the team again. Uh, It's been five weeks. I think they're very pleased uh, with the training camp and now the first six-plus games that Joe Mazzula has coached that he can turn into a bright young coach. Obviously, he's going to make his mistakes and have his bumps in the road and uh, have some things he needs to learn uh, as a a head coach. But I think that they're very pleased with the direction of the organization. I think they're completely ready to move on from Ime Udoka. So I don't, uh, I've been told the Celtics will give full clearance to any team that wants to bring him on as coach. And as you know, Warren, uh, it's also about the, the, the dollars, the dollar bills here. And that means that they don't have to pay Udoka for the rest of the year or the remainder of his contract. Um, that's a financial relief for the ownership group that you're not paying a coach not to coach. So 
Um, I think that they're ready to move on. I think that they've been ready for a while. I just think they wanted to give uh, Missoula a chance to kind of get his feet, you know, wet and, you know, but settle in a little bit. They think they felt like he's done that. Um, you know, obviously we're going to talk about the team in a minute and how they're doing. And I, I think, you know, four and two is not a bad record. They're, it's not 0 and six. It's, they're, not a, they're not a mess at this point. They've gotten off to a pretty good start, uh, you know, some 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 a uh, couple of losses in a row, but they were able to bounce back. But uh, so, but I do think Udoka is a definite candidate. I think it's it's a sign, Warren, that Sean Marks trying to save his job. You know, Sean mm-hmm. Marks is kind of came in there with that San Antonio pedigree. Um, obviously, knowing Ime from those San Antonio days, and kind of was supposed to be the guy that pushed the Brooklyn Nets to the top. Right? Um, we would have thought. Uh, I'm sure you as well as I, that by now, all the personnel that had gone through that, that they would have at least been to an NBA finals, right? They would have at least won maybe a championship with Durant. You know, remember that infamous the summer 19 where, you know, it was KD and um, Irving deciding to go to, you know, like, hey, get another super team. And then here comes James Harden and all that. So I think they thought they'd be the next you know, version of that Miami Heat of the early 2010s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it hasn't worked. Obviously, it's been an abject failure. There's a lot of drama going on in Brooklyn. There's always drama in Brooklyn. I think this is Sean Marks's ploy to save his job, save this organization from another complete rebuild. Because as you know, I mean, they, they tried to, rebuild or they tried to, to do this on the fly in 2013 by getting Garnett and Pierce. That didn't work. Um, so they have to uh, figure out what's next. And I think Sean Marks is really gasping the straws here. And I think Udoka is a good coach on the floor. I just think considering what's gone on over the last five weeks and his it's, it's really hasn't had much time to settle uh, it's it's a tough uh, situation that he's going to be coming into, and he's going to be getting a lot of questions, obviously, from the media about what's happened in Boston. You know, you, you touched on a lot, and I want to be able to dive into, you know, different pieces of what you just kind of spoke about, especially with regards to, obviously, back to Yudoka, but Mark's, you know, kind of grasping at straws. He indicates in the presser as well that he understands and recognizes, hey, they have a window. Um, and that window is not as long. You have this quote-unquote collection of talent. You need to try to capitalize on it. I don't know that it was Nash's fault, um, but he clearly wasn't a part of the solution. And I think there's more wrong with that organization you know, than just being the head coach or the lack of experience that he may have had. You know, it, It's weird coming off of the summer you know, where Durant allegedly or did ask for him to be removed and now you know whatever two three weeks in the season that actually does come to fruition and now boston celtics former head coach is now being considered into this i want to ask you this point blank had this situation not presented itself and it's not fact as we record it's still you know hyperbole and a rumor so to speak but would boston do you think boston was going to move on from Udoka officially before the year suspension one way or another. And now this just gives them an opportunity to do that maybe a little bit earlier. Yeah. I think that they were going to move on unless it was a complete train wreck with Missoula, which it isn't. And then even if it were Warren, even if it didn't work out with Missoula, okay, let's say he's not ready. 
he's just kind of an assistant, maybe he's a couple years away, they can also decide to hire another coach other than Ime Udoka. It doesn't have to be Udoka or Bust. So I think that they're pleased with the way now, obviously, just literally not even 10% into the season yet. So we're not uh, at, a, at a point where you can make a real determination of how you uh, Missoula's doing, but I think the the organization was ready to move forward. I don't think it was very little chance after this whole thing that went down that Yudoka was going to suddenly come back and take over as coach and with the same people working in the organization with, uh, you know, just the same structure. Uh, the Celtics have a lot of longtime employees, have a lot of longtime people that work in the organization, at the arena, and all those. With this situation, I don't think it would have been conducive for Yudoka to come back and say, hey, I'm back, you know, after a year and, and you know, uh, and let's get let's pick it up back up and you've got the the, the the players need consistency the organization needed consistency and so i i don't think warren that he would have been back regardless of this job opening i think the celtics knew eventually that teams are going to start calling on him and doing their diligence and saying hey uh you mind telling us what's in that report um <laughs> So we know that there's going to be nothing down the road. And, you know, this is a big risk for the Brooklyn Nets, Warren. I mean, you're hiring someone who, you know, in in, in, the, in these times, right, these times of the Me Too movement and uh, definite, you know, protection, which is much warranted, uh, f- protection for women in the workplace, uh, protection for their sanity, protection uh, so they can work and and not have to worry about some of these things that they've had to worry about, unfortunately, in previous years and generations and our parents' generation where the women in in those generations had to put up with so much sexism and overt, you know, just assault at times. Um, It's a real risk to bring in someone, not who has a history, but someone who has been guilty of maybe some um, misdoings. And yeah. so I'm kind of wondering, and maybe we could talk about this and get your thoughts. Uh, what about the women that work in the Nets organization? What does that say to them? What does this say to the, the employees there? Uh, will Udoka, if he ever is the coach, uh, be forced or be have to sign a, you know, uh, an agreement, uh, some type of, uh, you know, personal conduct policy kind of thing where, hey, one strike and you're out, not two strikes, not three strikes. Anything that we hear, you're gone. And I mean, what what will be the conditions of his contract? I would think it'd be a lot uh, stringent than a regular NBA coach. And how does he change? And how does he show people he's changed? Literally, Warren after five weeks. Like, I mean, I mean you know, yeah. I mean that that's the thing. I mean, we haven't even we haven't we barely in November now. This happened late September. You know, like we we haven't had a chance to turn the page. The season hasn't barely started. How in the world can he explain to the New York media, to the Brooklyn media, to the world, to the NBA community, hey, I'm a different guy. I made a mistake. In five weeks, uh, that's a tough one. Yeah, I think, Gary, it's a it's a great question. I definitely want to dive into this. I think we're going to take our show maybe in a slightly different direction from most Celtics fans here, but this is an important conversation. Real-life things are happening here or potentially happening here. And I definitely, definitely want to address it as it relates to the Boston Celtics team here. We'll take a quick break here from Ben online. We'll be right back here uh, on Unbelieving Celtics. 
Basketball is back and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. And we're back here on Believe in Celtics presented by Bet Online. And, you know, before the break, Gary was speaking eloquently, you know, about what a potential, um, what it means to bring in a personality like Coach Udoka into your organization at this stage, still fresh, still very fresh in, in, in a lot of ways. And now to an organization that doesn't have a great overall organizational culture currently, you know, there's a lot of, weird stuff happening in Brooklyn. And this quite frankly makes it weirder. Um, potentially again, we're, we're speaking with, you know, some of a certain level of uncertainty. Um, Josh Primo situation just happened in San Antonio. Right. Um, and we're, we're just really, as you were speaking, Gary, just so much is happening, you know, to female employees within the sports space. Um, or the, um, or the uh, assistant GM in Detroit, you know, it's it's yeah. it's never ending, right? Yeah. And I I don't know I don't I can't speak what it means to be a, a person or a female in these types of situations, you know, male dominated organizations, and having to be put into these types of situations one way or another, or you know, with people who have this level of history behind them, recent or otherwise. And it's a very fine line, I think, within our society. You know, we spoke, unfortunately, a little bit about Kanye last week and Jalen Brown severing the ties there. You know, when have you paid your penance? When is enough enough for you to kind of move forward? And can you show what you've learned and to move forward as a positive individual? Um, By the court of public opinion, and, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to what that is, it probably hasn't been enough time. But as we alluded to, Brooklyn's grasping at straws. Um, and that's what I think is, you know, really, really interesting. I want to switch it back to the Celtics specific lens because sure, there's a financial angle to this if he's moves on and that's, Hey, that's fine for, you know, a gross spec and company to not have to deal with that. But what about the players? And do, do you think in some ways it can send not necessarily a negative message, but has there been more clarity around, um, his situation? I know, I don't know if he, if Yudoka goes to Brooklyn, does, the the facts of what happened actually eventually come out. But do you feel the players understand the same thing that you said previous to this in our prior segment that the Celtics were moving on from him? The one-year suspension was just something they kind of put out there. There was no real intention of ever really bringing him back. Do they understand that? And would they, in essence, not necessarily bless, but just like, okay, fine, he's moved on. But to the Brooklyn Nets, who are – you know, division don't really matter that much anymore, but they're a kind of a rival. And there's a lot of symmetry what's been going on with Boston and Brooklyn for whatever reason, because of even the Kyrie stuff, you know, being on that team and going over there. There's just a lot of, again, weirdness between these two organizations. Do you think the players are going to be accepting of this if it were to come to pass or they just don't have a choice and, you know, but have they actually moved on? Yeah, Warren, I think they're going to have to be. And I think, Okay, like we can try to, uh, you know, break this down here. Like, okay, the question 
that I don't have an answer to is has have things been further explained about what happened and what the actions that Yudoka did that forced the organization to uh, make this move? Um, has further details been revealed? Uh, it's been to a point now being around the team that these questions aren't asked anymore. We've kind of, you know, the, the media has moved on. Hey, it's a new administration, new guy. Uh, the players have talked enough about it. Um, but this is something that, you know, could obviously needs to be maybe bring be brought up again. Secondly, Warren, like, have they talked to Udoka as a as a group? Has he called any of the players? Was he allowed to call any of the players? That's the thing about I was told that like he's not gonna be he, he wouldn't gonna be able to come to a Celtic game. Like, you know, he wasn't gonna be at the arena at all watching him play or anything like that. Like he was gonna stay away from the franchise. Okay. Now, could he have gone to other NBA games? Who knows? Um, I don't think, you know, and I'm sure if we had uh, you know look at TMZ or something, we could see we we would know that he made some type of public appearance, but I have not seen or heard of anything publicly he's done since this happened. But did he reach out to the players individually, maybe? And was he allowed to? And talk to them and say, hey, man, this is what happened. You know, go play hard for Coach Missoula. I made a mistake. Was that, did those conversations happen? And I think that if it did, or they got some kind of explanation, you know, maybe a letter was written. Maybe he can't contact them directly. Maybe there was a letter, you know, something distributed on email or something. To the to the players, okay. If he explained himself, maybe they have more peace of mind about it and ready to move on. I do think they like Joe Mazzula. I think they fully support him. I think there was a comfortable, very uh, positive atmosphere around the team uh, before all this happened, and then it's turning back into that now. It's a positive atmosphere because remember, Warren, all of his assistants are still there. Now that's another right. question: Would he? Now I don't think he would. You know take any of his assistance in the middle of the season, um, that would be a real unpopular move. And probably he's got to, you know, if he's getting the job, or as you know, he's probably got to, you know, compile a staff. And he's been in a couple of different places where he could get guys either who, and, and how do you get, you know, do you keep the current staff? Do you bring a couple of guys on? Do you let anybody go? Or do you just jump in there with the current Steve Nash's staff, guys that you know, and just jump in there and work and say, hey, I'll worry about all that in the offseason. So did he have conversations? Are the players at ease and at peace of mind? Uh, are they bothered by this? Are they asking what Grusbeck and Brad Stevens, so you didn't get nothing for this guy? You just let him go? You know, you didn't get a draft pick? You know, a second rounder? Like, I'm sure different players might feel different ways. I think the players are probably a little bit more flexible, and more chameleons that we probably give them credit for, um, you know, and, and they go through their personal stuff too. So they probably been through a lot of things and concerning the season and Jalen Brown's been through his personal stuff with, with the, like, so they're like, Oh yeah, that's right. Huh? Like, uh, it was a month ago. So I think Warren, some of the players probably feel differently. Some, some probably didn't want him back because of what he did. Others were probably like, Hey, it'd have been nice, but I'm good. I'm good now. You know, it's just like anything else. You, you you get used to something, you get comfortable, but then you get you see something else, and you say, "Well, 
yeah, you know, that was nice that, you know, what we were doing before, but I like this new thing too. So it all depends on whether the players have peace of mind. That we don't know. We don't know if the players, they've had to force themselves to have peace of mind, but were they explained further about the situation? Were they allowed to read the report? Um, you know, or is there non-disclosures everywhere? I'm just wondering, Warren, what's Udoka going to say in that first press conference? Man. <laughs> is he going to explain anything? Yeah. Is, is, is he going to say, honestly, I didn't do anything wrong, but it was a mistake. It was a disagreement. I don't agree with what happened, but I accept. Like, who knows? Is he going to say, hey, it was, you know, I didn't feel like I did anything wrong. I felt like I made a mistake in judgment. But other than that, I feel like, I didn't, like, who knows what's going to be said? Who knows what he is going to reveal or what he can reveal? All this stuff, Warren, is so it's been locked down. I mean, the NBA kind of said, okay, Boston, you know, handle your business. We have nothing to do with this. Right. It's not like the, you know, the NBA had no input in this. You want to suspend him? He's your coach. He's under your contract. You do what you have to do. Now, will the NBA uh, go to Brooklyn and go to the Nets and go to the Celtics and say, okay, guys, um, all the conditions of his suspension are no longer the case because he's no longer an organization. So now he can do whatever he wants to do. Or the Celtics, like, you still can't talk to our players. Like, who knows what is going on, you know, uh, in terms of the, the three entities, the Nets, the Celtics, and the NBA. Because I, I was told today by someone, that, you know, that this is unprecedented. We've never dealt with this before. You Ever. know, like, we. <laughs> We don't know what to do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, we they want the, they want they want to you know the league wants to concentrate on damn basketball. They do not want to concentrate on Kyrie Irving's craziness, and they don't want to uh, concentrate on this. They want to they want the story to be on the damn basketball floor. But as we know, when we watch the games now, it's who's not playing. <laughs> you know, that's the the story. Who's sitting out? What coaches on the hot seat? And what co- what person is doing things on social media? That's unfortunately the NBA that we're we're part of. So I think uh, a long winded answer. It all depends on whether individual players have made peace with themselves in terms of like, you know what? I'm just not going to be able to find out. I'm just going to move on. You know, I think they were curious a month ago. Are they still curious? I'm sure they are. But I'm sure like, listen, man, you know. And I'm sure they hear things. I'm sure there's been some whispers. I'm sure those in the organization that might not have the high profile, but that work in that arena, work around that team, are probably like, hey, guys, uh, this is what went down. You know, and all, you know, so I think that they're going to have to, like, go back, they're going to have to figure it out. But I think, you know, going to a division rival, seeing them four times a year, That'll be fascinating. Man, this is layered. Um, And again, the NBA continues to bring drama in in some ways now, unfortunately, permeates around Boston to some degree. Um, You just hope that whatever happens with the Yudoka situation, that the team is not impacted because in some ways, like you said, you hope they've just kind of moved on. But I don't know if it becomes fresh, like you open up that wound again. Um, by virtue of his name being brought up and bantered about, I'm sure, you know, when they play Cleveland, 
and then on to Chicago, Toronto, sorry, to Memphis, Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. The teams that they're going to be playing here in the next couple, like these conversations are going to come up. And depending on how fast Brooklyn moves or, do, or don't move, I know Quinn Snyder has also been bantered about yeah. in this. So, you know, some of this could be for not, but hopefully it doesn't become a distraction. They can move on. But if he is ultimately hired, you know, that's just going to be a pill that they'll have to swallow, as you alluded to. Um, you're tuned in here to Believe in Celtics. I'm Warren Shaw. He's Gary Washburn. Make sure you're following him at G Washburn Globe on, on Twitter and follow me at Shaw Sports NBA on Twitter. Um, we're going to talk more Celtics, actual Celtics basketball here after the break on our Geno time. Thanks for sticking with us, man. Uh, great episode so far, but we'll be right back. This week's edition of the Geno Time segment here on Believe in Celtics, we are going to be discussing, discussing the Boston Celtics defense. Um, you know, as we talked talked a little bit about four and two as we record this show, Cleveland coming up, um, a rematch with Cleveland. Um, you know, overtime game where they gave up forty one apiece to Donovan Mitchell and Karis LeVert, Celtics killer now, Karis LeVert. That's what I'm going to call him. Um, but the defense just hasn't looked as spry, and it's something we talked a little bit about on the last episode, but it continues to be a, a point of concern. Um, offensive rating, fourth, hey, looking great, up from seventh last year, but second overall in terms of defensive rating last year, down to 25th this year. Um, that math ain't math, and Gary. Uh, there's a lot of things wrong, I think, with the Celtics defense, and I've really been seeing it, especially at the point of attack. Um, you know, people are getting blown by on, on a, a more consistent basis, and we don't have or they don't have the rim protection, the requisite rim protection there. Um, but guys are hitting shots. Yeah, you know I mean, and you know, you, there's no accounting sometimes for uh, when Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he's an all all level, all NBA level talent. Carol Servert again, Celtics killer. So some guys sometimes people get hot. Um, but there's there's some things fundamentally wrong. I think what, what's going on here. Marcus Smart is starting to allude to it and saying, "Hey, we need to get back to the defense that we're playing that we we're playing last year." But how do they do that? What have you seen? Why is the defense taking this much of a slip? You know, understanding that Missoula was essentially the defensive coordinator last year. So what has been different from this year, from last year to this year? Yeah, one, I think they've just been slow to learn the concept, slow to kind of to get back into that rhythm. And I think that the NBA, you know, it's a it's a it's a league now where offenses with all the foul calls and all the rules that kind of favor the offensive players. I call like the James, we're, we're still in the James Harden era. You know, we're still in that era where, you know, there's a lot of fouls, a lot of free throws, a lot of three balls. Um, so it used to be that if you, you know, uh, allowed anything over a hundred points, that was a, you were not a good defensive team. You had to allow in the nineties. Now, if you allow in the nineties or in the low hundreds, you're a great defensive team. And you got teams allowing 150, 116 points a game. That's like the that's the eighties all over again, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the Celtics have to get refamiliarized with Missoula's system, play a little bit harder, and not let like the offense affect the defense. Miss shots, putting your head down, complain to officials. If we look at it like the Philadelphia game, I thought they adjusted the opener. They, had, you know, Harden went off 19 points in the first quarter. Then he got to the free throw line eight times, and then I think he individually finished with 12 free throws. So they made an adjustment there. They they shut down Harden after the first quarter. He finished with like 35 points, but 17 in the final or 16 in the final three quarters. So he didn't have that standard, you know, 50 point, you know, that we've seen James Harden put up in his over his years. 
And then, you know, uh, Embiid at 26 and 15. Embiid had a nice game, but something, nothing you would say was a dominant performance. And so I thought that was a solid, you know, not a great defensive effort, about 117. Some of those came in the final minute. Um, the Miami game allowed 104, did a good job, held on, had a, you know, tough quarter, that third quarter, but I thought did a good job against the Heat most, most of the way. Orlando was a winning side to slip, where the Magic put up 120 points. The Magic was getting everything it wanted. Um, you know, Banchero was getting to the brack. Franz Wagner, Wagner, but you know they they did enough to win, and they played a team that didn't know how to win, doesn't know how to win yet. That's when I started seeing the slippage. And then on the Chicago game, I thought the second unit really let them down. And then that's when I'm getting back to the shooting, um, like. Levine, and like if you look at the three point percentages now, <clears throat> early in the season, there's some guys who are shooting like 58% for three. You know, early in the season, first six, seven games, guys are literally hitting more than half their threes. But the th- the four guys I thought fo- I talked about, I wrote about, uh, Io Dinamo, or I, I, I struggle, with, yeah, Dusimo, <laughs> I always struggle with his name, uh, and Zach Levine. Those two guys and against Cleveland, Levert and Mitchell. Uh, DeSumo and Levine combined for seven three balls. Both of them are shooting in the mid 40s in threes early in the season. So, Steph Curry territory. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he does it for a whole damn season. Um, and then Mitchell and Levert combined for 11 threes in that overtime game. And both of them are shooting. Well over forty percent, including Levert, the Celtic killer, you could call him, shooting almost forty nine percent from threes. So, as I look, they're they're not allowing a lot of three point attempts, but they're allowing a high average. Yeah. So, if you're the Celtics, I think they're thinking, and we talked to Missoula about this. Okay, like not good numbers so far, but some of these guys are going to start missing, and you're going to face shooters that aren't as good. They just happened to run in to defensively to, to two back-to-back games where guys were literally on fire, okay, um, and they're starting the season hot. That's that scouting, one, okay, DeSumo and Levine are good three-point shooters. Don't, don't go under the, under the damn screen. And the same thing with Mitchell and Levert. Both those guys shooting 45-plus don't go under the screen at this point. History will tell you, okay, it's going to lower to 36 eventually, but this isn't history right now. Mitchell is off to a great start, yes. and Levert kills you, period, when he plays the Celtics because, as, as you saw, the next night against the Knicks, Levert had one point. <laughs> I mean, you know, something Very frustrating. <laughs> yes. Levert had a point on 0 for 9, I believe, against the Knicks. They still won the game, but – you know, Levert shows up against Boston. So I think they feel like they're going to have to make adjustments and read the scouting reports a little bit deeper and also respect shooters a little bit more. But I think, and I think then we can flip to the Washington game. Bradley Beal, a guy who has had big nights against the Celtics before, not having a great season so far, averaging about 23 a game. Usually you're used to seeing uh, Beal in the 30 range, 29, 30 range. But they got Porzingis, they got Kuzma, um, 
They've got some other some other weapons now, but he didn't score till late third quarter. And I thought that was he was frustrated. He was he couldn't get a shot off cleanly. He was just they played a very good defensive. That that made the game. That 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 determined the game. Other guys got off a little bit. Porzingis obviously affected the game with his size. Uh, Kuzma had his moments, but wasn't all that good. But and and I was impressed with Hachimura. I thought Hachimura played well, but Beal was non-existent for the first three quarters, and that is how you win games. What happened? Allowed ninety-four, allowed ninety-four points. Exactly where you want to be. You're not going to average. You're not going to allow ninety-four per night. But those are the type of games. That's a good defensive effort. So let's see going toward the future, Warren, if they can continue that because they shut down one of the game's top what Beal top ten scores. You know, if you just throw out names, you know, the Giannis's and and some of those guys that that, that put up the can put up the thirty points a game pretty on an easy basis. You know, Bill's in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a top fifteen, top twenty player uh, at this point in his career. Still top, you know. So to hold hold him to to well, I think he had sixteen points or something like that. But it was literally a lot in garbage time, a lot very meaningless points. Uh, did not impact the game at all. And I think that's what you point to that moment and you say, okay, this is this is how we want to do it. Focus on the leading score. Make it hard on him. If other guys beat you and other nights they are going to beat you. Levert is going to – there's going to be nights that guys like him go for 41. Now, you might want to do a little bit more better defense and emphasis on it, but I think if you get more consistent, I think they'll be better. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think again, a lot of it, as we all know, defense is a, is, is a deep, is an effort situation, and I think they obviously have the physical and requisite skills. They have the know-how, um, and they just need to put it into application. And they'll continue to be tested here. You know, with this recent next stretch of games, as we alluded to, Cleveland again. You know, as we record, um, New York is it? Chicago, Memphis coming out. Yeah, here. Chicago, New York, and then Memphis. Obviously, uh, John, those guys. So yeah. uh, uh, their schedule is not easy. They're not getting a bunch of. Uh, <laughs> As my man down, Sean, he say tomato can. So, you know, Chicago on Friday, then the Knicks back to back, a tough game with, you know, their new acquisitions. And then at Memphis, uh, they're going to be ready too. So it, it should be interesting. It's an interesting stretch for the Celtics. Yeah, right. So we want to see, you know, how that, you know, how it all kind of comes together, first of all. And, you know, the Celtics, from what I've seen, you correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen them do too much trapping. Um, you know, a lot of it's just switching, you know, and do you yeah. think that's a, a mechanism or something that they could try to employ against some of the better and upper echelon talents in the NBA? Like Ja is on, on an MVP level. Donovan Mitchell, it looks like he's trying to have an MVP type of season right now. Do you think that is something that they would look to employ even to test to maybe have it in their back pocket for when the playoffs ultimately come? Or is it just like, hey, we're 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 set in our defensive principles. We're know we're going to switch. We, we believe in, you know, whoever gets switched on to whoever can handle that situation, maybe with some shaded st- and stunting of coverage, if you will. But I don't really see a whole lot of trapping on a regular basis. You know, correct me if I'm wrong there, uh, but is that something yeah. that you you think they could employ or should employ or just kind of maybe save it for later on? I think there's something they should employ because I think if they did that against Donovan Mitchell um, and got the ball out of his hands, now, if you let Levert, and Levert's obviously not as much of a proven scorer. He's had his moments. And that I was there for that 52-point game he had when he was with Brooklyn at the Garden. 
Um, but Mitchell's a guy that you know what he's bring to the table. He's going to bring 27, 28 points, potentially 35, 40 on a night, given night. You know what he's going to do. I would have, uh, I think, Missoula trapped to get the ball out of his hands. If Kevin Love beats you, if Coro beats you, if Jared Allen beats you, even if Evan Mobley beats you, it's their night. Okay. But to have two guys go for 41 points each is a real concern. Like that's, that's lackadaisical defense. So I think sometimes you got to make adjustments. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember seeing uh, our friend uh, Kimba Walker drop 43 on the Celtics um, in Charlotte one night where basically Kyrie was saying like, we trap like we're the you know who doesn't trap a guy in that situation when he's just scorching hot, yeah. You know, like you just it's just you got to sometimes tip your cap and go, okay, this ain't the night to guard him one on one. You know, this isn't it, it, he, he is making it hard on us. Let's make someone else, uh, be even if you replace be getting beat with twos, uh, with three, you know, by you know, instead of threes getting beat with twos, that's a little better than. You know, splashing Mitchell just you just knew it was his night, and you're like, okay, are they gonna do something to stop him? Are they just gonna hope he misses? Or are they gonna put a bigger defender on him? So we'll see. It'd be interesting to see over the next couple games. Obviously, another matchup with Cleveland. Yep. How they approach that uh matchup, and obviously Levert will be there too. And but I think trapping's gotta become part of their arsenal. There's just too many good pure scores in this league, Warren, to sometimes you, you, you got to know that that there's going to be a guy that's going to light you up every now and then and and force you to do that. Yeah, yeah, I agree, obviously. So I'd love to see, again, just as situationally, maybe as, again, to kind of stop runs, like how you'd call a timeout. All right, well, let me, let's, let's trap this MF. Right? <laughs> he's he's yeah. giving us a business right now. Yeah. We got to just give – you got to give players like that different looks. And as you alluded to, you tip your cap and say, hey, God bless if other guys beat you. But, yeah, when you have those main stars torching you like that, it's, it's, it's a little bit tough. Um. So we don't want to end on a negative note. Again, this team is still four and two. So that that's they're above ground, right? Yeah. That's that's a positive situation. Um, three point shooting has been phenomenal. Um, I don't know how sustainable, but it's it's been pretty phenomenal. Um, what are they? They are third in percentage um, and third in attempts, first in makes, um, shooting almost forty one threes a game. It's a lot of threes, Gary. That's that's a lot of threes, but they're going in. So talk to me a little bit about how, how sustainable you think this is um, the looks that they're getting offensively and the confidence that Missoula allowing them to play that kind of free flowing. But as I said, on the last show, offense can be intoxicating. And I don't know why we're not seeing, you know, the level of defense that we're used to, but the three point shooting has been a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Warren, I think the problem maybe in some of their ruts is they're chasing too many threes. Too many three pull up, you know, like Marcus, the early shot clock threes with Marcus Smart, you know, Marcus, you know, don't do that. You know, when Marcus takes a lot of threes, you know, the offense is not going as well as they'd probably like. Um, I think that here's a, I think this is where Robert Williams comes in when he comes back, where they can penetrate, dish and kick. But with Robert there, you can just lob it for an easy dunk. Because if you if the if if the defense is playing out to uh, the threes, it opens up the floor, and there's Robert just you know easy two points. Now they don't have someone that's going to give them an easy two. You know what I'm saying? Robert 
the element he brings is he gives your ch- team a chance to get an easy two points. It's like if you look at Jared Allen, not as much as with, with Jared Allen, but how easy it is when you throw it all to a big guy and he's, Ooh, I'll just dunk on you, right? You yeah, know, get up. And so I think that's the element they're missing with Robert, and they don't have, you know, you're not going to do that with Al as much as lobs and things like that. So I think they're relying on the three ball, and I think that they've worked on it too. Jalen's worked on it. Jason's worked on it. You know, Marcus is always working, although it doesn't always go in for Marcus. He, I see him in practice on a daily basis trying to get that damn shot down. Um, and then you got better shooters. Sam Hauser is a better shooter. Now Pritchard's improved. Grant Williams is improved. So you got some good shooters on that team. You know, Derek White's a guy. Brogdon. So you, you, you don't have anyone. And even Smart, you would say, is an average three-point shooter, but streaky, right? You would, you would put a definitely put the streaky tag on him. We've seen Marcus really light it up, and we've seen him really not light it up. Um, but if you look at the roster, you have, the, the you know, with White improving, I think it's a big deal with Brogdon being a good three-point shooter and Hauser. So you've added Brogdon and Hauser with two good shooters that you didn't have last year, and then White shooting with more confidence. So that's almost like three extra guys because you didn't really trust Derek White last year from the three-point line. It just wasn't working. Now he's shooting with more confidence. So I think you can rely for now, but I definitely think they will eagerly anticipate Robert Williams returning to open up the floor, and hey, oh, you gonna guard me from three? I'll drive. Two guys collapse on Tatum. Oh, I'll just flip it up. There's the big guy. Bam, easy points, free throws, and two point and dunks and lobs. That's what you need. You can't win this in this league just by shooting three. So, if if you're the Celtic fan, hopefully Robert Williams comes back soon. But they make it a little bit easier on themselves. Get to the free throw line too. When they're in the bonus, attack the rim. Don't take, stop taking threes when you know you got a team on the ropes in the bonus. Live at the line. So there's some little things that could be tweaked. But I think for a team, if you'd asked four and two, I think people would say, yeah, I'll take that. Like I don't think people thought. I think they thought maybe they might lose at Miami, right? Um, you know, or maybe lose the opener against Philadelphia, or maybe at Chicago. You know, uh, the Cleveland game's a little bit – Cleveland's playing good ball. Cleveland might be a a year ahead of what we thought they were. So uh, I think people would take four and two for now. And, you know, you try to get through that schedule, and then you get a couple of Detroits in there, and then you can start building up some wins. Yeah, and I think it's great to be able to kind of, you know, sharpen your iron here against some of these upper echelon talent, even without being fully healthy. You know, look what Milwaukee's doing without Chris Middleton right now, and, you know, they're still achieving. So, again, Boston's still playing good basketball here, but some things to tighten up and better days to come as a result, you know what I mean, of some of the injuries, you know, getting shored up here. Hopefully Rob joins us at some point, you know, maybe January, February into the season. So um, I think that's a great place to wrap it up, G-Money. Um, you know, I think this has been one hell of an episode yet again. I want to thank you for your for your always great, great musings, your, your coverage and your insight. Um, he is Gary Washburn. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at GWashburnGlobe. Follow me at NBA. And this has been Believe in Celtics presented by Bet Online. We will definitely catch y'all next week. Peace out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.